All right, let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. We're picking up with verse 14. And uh, by a miracle of grace, we were able to go the, all the way to the end of the chapter. So I'm believing for a, a duplication of a major miracle happening this morning in second service. So please stand to your feet. We want to read the Word of God together in unison. And we're in the New King James. It's going to be up there. And I'm going to set the pace lest we go too, too slow. And so let's start reading Ephesians 2.14. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, therefore putting the death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Let's pray over our spiritual meal. Father, we thank you for the Word of God that is filled with the nutrients we need for our spiritual life. We're going to receive it today by faith and be nourished by it. Again, Holy Spirit, we trust in your spiritual work of teaching that you're anointing the eyes, ears, and heart of each person listening and opening them by the gift of your grace so they can hear, see, and understand what's being said. Father, I trust that you're going to speak to your children. They're going to walk away with something out of this, specifically you speak to them about, and that they can put into practice and will make a difference in their life. And only you can do this miracle. I believe it's happening right now, and I thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. High five someone on the way down. A lot of high-fiving going on. <laughs> Praise the Lord. All right, let's hop right into this. Let's start breaking this down. Verse 14 says, For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. He himself is speaking of Jesus. Say Jesus. Jesus. And notice it's he himself. Say he himself. he himself. He himself is our peace. And this brings out, when it came to redemption, Jesus did it, he himself. And so tell someone, he doesn't need your help. And he still does not need your help. And so he doesn't need your help, he needs your agreement. He needs the agreement of faith. But he does not need your help. He still does not need your help. It's a finished work, and you'll mess it up. And so look at Hebrews chapter 1, look at verse 3. Let's look at what Jesus did. He himself did it. And you weren't there to help him. And praise the Lord. Hebrews 1.3 says, And who, that's Jesus, being the brightness of his glory, that's God the Father, and the express image of his person, and with upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself, say by himself, by himself, by himself purged your sins. See, he did a work, he purged and did, dealt with your sins. And so a lot of Christians are trying to deal with their sins. So they're trying to do penance, or they're trying to make up for what they've done, or 
Some of them are even punishing themselves. You know what a lot of depression for Christians are? It's just you trying to punish yourself for your sins. But you don't need, you can't punish yourself enough because what your sins was worth was death. And you don't have to die. Someone died for you. His name was Jesus. He dealt with that sin that you've been dealing with. It's been on your conscience. And when you try to keep busy, because when you get quiet, it just rises up again. But you can finally deal with that and get rid of that and assign it to the cross. Because that's where Jesus dealt with it. He purged it. He removed it. And it's been dealt with. He himself did it. You can't. You just be in agreement with it. Say, say, I agree, Father. That Jesus purged my sins at the cross. He himself did it. So I don't have to try to do it. I accept it's done. I believe I'm forgiven. Thank you for forgiving me through the blood of Jesus. We need, his, we need to agree with that. He himself is our peace. Notice it didn't say he himself has peace. It says he himself is. Say is. 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 That's present tense. Is is always present tense. He is our what? Our peace. This brings out the fact that whatever you need Jesus to be for you right now, he is. Not that he has, he is. So I want you to think, what do you need in your daily life? I'm, I know you can get spiritual and everything. I'm talking about in your natural life. What are you needing right now? He is it. Right. Oftentimes we're looking in the natural for what we're needing. Jesus is what we need. And I think in this world what we need almost more than anything is peace. Because there is no peace to the, to the wicked, says the Lord. But praise God, you have the peace of God if you're born again because you have Jesus. And Jesus is our peace. Look at the word our in this section of scripture, Paul's going to bring out Jew and Gentile. Before the cross, the two major groups of people God recognized in the earth was Jew and Gentile, the nations. And there's a great division between these two, great hostility between these two. But what Jesus did at the cross, he, brought, he removed that hostility for those who believe. Say believe. believe. There are still natural Jews and natural Gentiles fighting. It's happening right now over there. It's happened for thousands of years. But for a believer... Whether Jew or Gentile, there's the animosity has been removed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'm speaking of believers. Uh, if you're a believer, whether Jew or Gentile, you worship the same God. You have the same Savior. You depend on the same atonement. You have the same hope. You look forward to the same heaven. You have this, you're part of the same redeemed family. So reconciliation is not, not only taking place with God, but with each other. And so when a Jew believes on the Lord Jesus, his identity changes. I'm not talking about the physical makeup of his DNA, but his identity changes. And so we talk about today, if you're someone's a Jew, they get saved, they call it a completed Jew. Actually, that's not the case. When you get born again, you actually, your identity totally changes and is elevated to something higher. Higher than a natural Jew. And so he, that, he that's a, a Jew believes on the Lord, his identity elevates and changes. Well, likewise, when a Gentile receives the Savior, his identity elevates and changes, and henceforth we are in Christ, say in Christ. In Christ. And so we're elevated in Christ, and whatever, we, whatever Jesus has, he shares it with us. Again, you don't have your own unique thing going on with God. 
And so we sometimes think well, we're forming our own, trying to form our own connection with God. No, your only connection with God is Jesus Christ. And so I want to bring out the fact that the same relationship Jesus has with the Father, you have. Because when you've entered into him, he shares it with you. You share his standing. You share the exact relationship Jesus has. And so oftentimes we don't have that mentality of in him. So Paul in this book is going to go over and over again in him, through him, by him, trying to get through our thick skull that you don't have your own unique connection to God. It's always in Christ Jesus, and whatever he is and has, he shares it with you. You have his relationship with the Father. You have the peace that Jesus has with the Father. It's been given to you. But if you're trying to establish this own thing, this own connection with God, you're always going to struggle because you're never going to arrive where you need to be. The world is looking for peace. And so we can't find peace in our government. Our hope is that we just have the right guy, the right gal. We have the right people. Then there will be peace on earth. No, there will not be. We've been trying that formula for thousands of years. There's only one right person that's going to be on the throne. It's Jesus. He's already on the throne. He's going to come back and establish a natural earth. But for a Christian, he's on the throne. And you can't vote him out. He's not up for re-election every four years. He is the eternal King of kings, the eternal Lord of lords. Hallelujah. And the world's looking for peace, just like looking for love in all the wrong places. The world's looking for peace in all the wrong places. So the government's not the place to find. Society and culture's not the place to find peace today. Matter of fact, it's getting more and more chaotic today. Now, just from uh, 1500 B.C., before Christ, to 850 A.D., there were roughly 7,500 covenants agreed to among various nations with the hope of bringing peace, and not a single one of them has lasted. There's been many covenants since then. Not one of them has lasted, but there's one peace that will last. His name is Jesus. Yeah. Say, Jesus is my peace. Jesus is my peace. Tell someone, Jesus is your peace. Stop looking at circumstances to find peace. You think if all the crazy people would stop acting crazy in my life, I I would have peace. But there's a common denominator in all the crazy of your life. But Jesus is your peace. Not a circumstance, not an outcome, not a political thing. Jesus is our peace. That means we can have peace no matter what happens. You know, there was an art exhibit uh, competition for whoever could draw the best painting that demonstrates peace. And there was a lot of of, uh, uh, nice uh, murals and, and pastures and streams and just really quiet, tranquil. But the winner of the competition actually... In the factory, it didn't look like it was peace, but it was. It was a person standing in a cleft of a rock when the mighty ocean waves were hitting the rock from behind and going over them, but they were standing safe inside the rock. You know what peace is? When the world has no peace, you have peace. A lot of Christians say, you know what? If only Jesus, if I could be like that disciple in the boat and Jesus would calm my storm. No, he doesn't want to calm your storm first. He wants to comfort and calm his child. 
He wants you to have peace. He wants you to live in the eye of the storm. You know, with every hurricane, there's an eye. And inside of it, it's total peace. And so that's where God wants, he wants that you live from a center of peace on the inside. I don't care what kind of hurricane's going on in your life, what kind of hurricane in your finances or your health or your family or at work. You can have peace. But the only way you can have peace is to keep your eyes on Jesus. I'm going to make a statement over here. If you've been lacking peace lately, that's proof you have your eyes off of Jesus. Oh, it might be work over here. If you've been lacking peace lately, it's proof you've gotten your eyes off of Jesus. Because there's only three steps to the victorious Christian life. You don't, don't make me go back over them. You don't want to hear that, right? You want to hear? All right, here there. Step number one, look at Jesus. Step number two, keep looking at Jesus. Step three, keep on looking at Jesus. You can have peace and peace and keep on with peace, keeping your eyes on the Prince of Peace. Matter of fact, in the Old Testament, Jesus was prophesied to be our peace. Look in Micah chapter 5, look at verse 2. This is a messianic verse, passage. Micah 5, look at verse 2. It says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though you were little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. Who is this? It's Jesus. Look at verse 4, drop down, speaking about the same person. And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. About Jesus. Look at verse 5. And this one shall be peace. This one shall be peace. Not just have peace, but be peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land. You know, that's going to happen one day, but there's an Assyrian coming in your land. I don't care what, who's coming into your land. What enemies come in your land, it looks like the whole world's against you. You can have peace. It's Jesus. Look at John 14, look at verse 27. He's the source of peace. And out of him, his, his being, he gives you his peace. Look at John 14. This is right before he left. He's going to talk about He's about to die, and he's going to leave an inheritance. You leave an inheritance when you die. I'm about to die. Jesus said, I'm going to leave something in my inheritance. It's priceless. It's costly, but it's mine, and I'm going to give it to you freely for being in me. Look at John 14. Look at verse 27. Jesus said, peace I leave you. Well, what kind of peace? Keep reading. My peace. Say my peace. I give to you. Not as the world gives. Do I give to you? So don't let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You know, if your heart's troubled, you allowed it. If you're in fear, you allowed it. Because in your inheritance, Jesus left you something that he used and operated in during his ministry 24-7, 365 days a year. It was his peace. He always walked in peace. You never saw Jesus pacing around in worry. Never seen him in depression. Whoa, in despair. He was always in faith and peace. He's left you his faith, but he's also left you his peace. And you can live in the eye of the storm by keeping your eyes and trust in Jesus. If you don't have peace, you're not operating in God's grace. You know, in every epistle, every letter written to the church, 
Paul says grace to you and peace. grace and peace. grace and peace. 16 times to get it through our thick skull. That, that grace is available and his peace is available. That peace always follows grace. This brings out the fact that if you don't have peace, you're not operating in grace. I'm in peace. Hallelujah. The Greek word for peace means to be joined together in harmony. It's the it's shalom of the Old Testament. Peace flows from receiving the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so no peace is because you don't have grace operating in your life. And it says Jesus, who is peace, made both one. Who are both? Gentiles and Jews made them into one. So he made both one. Say both one. That's like marriage, isn't it? You have two made into one. It's a miracle. And so believing Jews and believing Gentiles are joined together, and these comprise the church, believing Jews and Gentiles. And Jesus himself has broken down the middle wall of separation. Well, Pastor, what's the middle wall? Well, this brings out the fact that in the temple, when it was operating, there was a dividing wall. There was a, a division between the court of the Gentiles and the court of the Jews. And there was a dividing wall, and on this wall there was a placard that read this. No Gentile may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and the enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. Isn't that friendly? <laughs> this was a physical barrier but illustrated the barrier of spiritual hostility and hate that separated these two groups. And Jesus broke it down. Just like the Berlin Wall. Break down this wall. Jesus broke it down. You don't have to do it. Jesus did it. And notice it was the middle wall of separation. Say separation. separation. So actually, what is this middle wall separation? It wasn't a natural wall. It's a spiritual wall. And we're going to find out next verse, it was the law. The law was the middle wall of separation, keeping Gentile from Jews. Because Jews looked at the Gentiles and said, you're without law. You have no law, and you have no hope without God's law. We have God's law. And so it separated Jew and Gentile. But ironically, guess who else it separated? The Jews from God. Because they couldn't keep it. And so it was a wall of separation where Jesus came, and he broke it down once and for all, so that we could have unity with God and unity with one another. And so, again, the actual middle wall was the Mosaic law. The law was a barrier between Gentiles joining with the Jews, but ironically it was a barrier between the Jews and God. But Jesus broke it down. Look at verse 15. Jesus having abolished, say having abolished. Having abolished, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from two, thus making peace. Having abolished. Look at the word abolished. It means to render idle. It means to terminate all intercourse with it. It means to, to shut it down, remove it to the side, and you have no more intercourse with it at all. And so Jesus abolished in his flesh. Say in his flesh. That's in his physical body. In his body, Jesus fulfilled the law. How did he do that? When he was born, he was born under the law. He came to fulfill all 613 commandments of the law because God gave that to mankind to keep, gave it to the Jews to keep, 
And then the Gentiles, they, didn't even, they weren't even in the ball game to keep it. So they were, had no hope. And so none of it, not one Jew was able to keep it. And Jesus said, because you demand perfection from humanity, I will become a man. And as them and for them, I will represent them. And Jesus became our representative at the cradle, not the cross. Yes, he represented you at the cross, but he started at the cradle. He lived under the law 613 and fulfilled it in his perfect life. He fulfilled every one of them as you and for you. But then Jesus went to the cross, and why did he go to the cross? To bear our sins in his body. 1 Peter 2.24 says, in his body, he bore our sins in his body. How did that happen? I don't know. That just brings out the fact that the worst suffering was not the whipping. The worst suffering was not the nails. The worst suffering was your sins, your sins. Make it personal. Say my sins. My sins. Was he carried in his body and separated him from his father. And so, so under the law, he fulfilled all the righteousness of the law by his life and fulfilled every single sacrifice in his death. Every bull, every lamb, every goat, every red heifer, every aspect and nuance of every sacrifice of Leviticus, Jesus wrapped them all up into his death, satisfied them, and dealt permanently with all your sins, all your transgressions, all your transmissions, all your omissions. He dealt with every one of them perfectly. How did Jesus fulfill the law? And how did in his body did he abolish the law? Well, you need to understand that Jesus in his body was the actual substance of the law. The very substance of the law. Because we're going to find out in the Old Testament, the law is called a shadow. A shadow. Well, pastor, where's that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Go to Colossians 2. Look at verse 16. Jesus was the law of God. The Mosaic law was a mere shadow of Jesus. Look in Colossians 2.16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in food. So leave my pizza alone. <laughs> Let no man judge you in your food. And this is the King James. I have the King James up here. Colossians 2.16. Let no man judge you in food or in meat or in drink. So no dissing me on my Diet Coke. Or in respect to a holy day, that's one of the feast days that was under the law. No one judge you that you're not keeping all seven of the feasts. Next of all, or of the new moon, there were certain things you had to do each month, sacrifices you had to make. You don't, you're, not, you're not under that anymore. Don't let anyone judge you that you're not keeping certain days of a month. Nor of the Sabbath days. Don't let anyone judge you. Well, well, Saturday was the Sabbath day in the Old Testament. Don't let anyone judge you and say, no, you have to worship God and come to church on Saturday or you're not right with God. <laughs> Which brings out the fact, we're living every day in Sabbath. Because the reality of Sabbath is Jesus. And we're not trusting in our works and what we're trying to do. We're trusting in Jesus' finished work. We're continually resting because Sabbath is rest. We're constantly resting in what Jesus has did in his righteousness. And so we live in Sabbath 24-7, 365 as a Christian. So enjoy football on Saturday. Amen. Ladies, enjoy shopping. 
I believe for the favor of God upon shoe sales in Jesus' name. <laughs> Pastor, oh, I'm feeling the spirit. Let's read verse 16 again. Let no one therefore judge you in meat or drink or respect of a holy day or the new moon or the Sabbath days. Look at verse 17. Which are a shadow of things to come. Guys, there's two things you need to create a shadow. What are they? You need a light source and then what else? An object that creates it. Well, let me tell you, the light source was the glory of God. But what was the very object that cast the Old Testament shadow? Jesus, his body. And when he came, he fulfilled it, completed it. Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law. Never will I have come to destroy the law, but I've come to fulfill it. I've come to fulfill it in completion and then set it aside as a means that you approached him. Now you approach through me, not through your works, but through faith in me. And he says he abolished in his body the enmity. Enmity means hostility. There was a hostility between Jew and Gentile and a hostility between man and God. And so Jesus came and he removed the hostility. Let me say something to you that you need to, guys, I'm going to hit it over and over and over again. You need to understand in him. Because when you're in him, you share everything he has, everything, the position he enjoys, it's equally shared with you. Let me tell you how much hostility has gone between you and God. It's the same hostility the Father has to Jesus Christ. How much hostility does the Father have to Jesus? Same, that's the same level of hostility the Father has towards you. Because if you're feeling hostility with God, it's coming on your side. The devil's been lying to you. You have his relationship with the Father. Jesus abolished in his body the enmity which was the law of commandments contained in ordinances. Law of commandments. There's a singular word there and then there's a plural word. Law, singular, commandments, plural. And so there were 613 individual commandments that made up one law, the Mosaic Law. And the Mosaic Law, ladies, you'll understand, have you ever put together a mosaic? Where you have little tiles or different stones, and you put them all together, glued them all together, and you stood back, and it had a picture. Do you know the 613 individual commands actually were interconnected with each other? And you step back to after you looked at the 613 commandments of the law, and there was a picture. There was someone's face that was shining into it. Whose face did it represent? Jesus. And if you break one stone, you've broken the mosaic. That's the mosaic law. That's the impossibility of trying to come to God based on the law. Because James 2.10 says... To keep all of the law and stumble at one point, you're guilty of it all. You've broken law. Jesus came and fulfilled it in perfection. And then moved it out of the way and says, now I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. You relate to God by me. Your relationship with the Father is my relationship with the Father. The same peace I have with the Father, you can have. You do have in your spirit. You know your spirit is filled with peace? It's just your soul that's crazy. Because you get focused on the wrong thing. 
The law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create. Say create. God's a creator. And you're a new creation. When you're born again, you're a new critter. I'm sorry, Oklahoma comes out every once in a while. You, he created in himself. Say in himself. In him, in him, in him, in him. So what he looks like, you look like. How he's like, you're like. As he is, when I get to heaven, in this world now, you're looking in the wrong place. Tell someone you may not know who you are. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, therefore, if. Say if. If, if anyone's in Christ. There's no need to put an if there if everyone already is in Christ. Not everybody's in Christ. How do you get in Christ? You believe in Christ. You believe into Christ. Universalism tells you everybody's in Christ. No, no. If anyone's in Christ, they are a what? New creation. He said he created in himself one new man. Say one new man. Well, there was only one old man. Who was that? Adam. And every one of you were born in the Adam's family. And in the natural, we still look like the Adams family. Look around. We're all born in the Adams family. But through the cross and through the gospel, we have a choice to get out of the Adams family and get into Christ's family. And you become a new being that's never been before. Look at the word new. There's two Greek words for new. The first Greek word for new, which is not this word, means new in time. Just new in relation to, to chronological time. That's not the Greek word. This Greek word is kainos, K-A-I-N-O-S, and it means new in quality, new in kind, something that has never existed before. It's brand new. It's novel, and it's not common. It's brand new. When you're born again, you are a new species of being that's never existed before. You're called the new creation. Well, pastor, in heaven, what color will I be? Light. You are light in the Lord. If you can see your spirit, it's lit up like a light bulb. You will shine like suns in the firmament. That's the color you are, light. A new man. Gentiles are now not just made equal to natural Jews. Both believing Jews and believing Gentiles are now elevated much higher than what they were before. They are entered into what's called sonship. Because the natural Jew was not the son of God. Now the nation of Israel, there was a couple times where it's called my son, but no individual Jew could say, I'm a son of God. That's why they wanted to stone Jesus. It was blasphemy for a Jew to say that. But when you're born again, it's no longer blasphemy, it's the truth. Because you've been entered into, because whatever he has, you have. He has a standing of the, the Son of God. You have a standing as a son. Ladies, sonship is not a gender. It's a position. And I can be the bride of Christ if you can be a son of God. 
Thus making peace. Say making peace. See, this isn't the, making peace is not the same as keeping the peace. There's two types of people. Those that try to keep the peace and then those that make peace. You know what keeping the peace is? That's dancing around the issue. Trying to fix things on the surface so that there's no animosity. And, and that only lasts a little while before the real source pops up again. To where the difference is between keeping peace and making peace, those that make peace actually have the conversation and be able to share what they don't want to hear and what you need to say. Having the crucial conversation. So how many times, you know, you're trying to dance around a situation and you think you made peace, but that same thing pops up again. You're just trying to keep the peace. You're trying to dance around their flesh and everything, and it seems like that's okay for a little while, and it pops up again. One time's, a, one time's an incident. Two times is a coincidence. Three times is a pattern. And oftentimes, we need to have, speak the truth to someone to actually make peace, not just keep peace. Jesus came and made peace. He dealt with the problem. Verse 16, and that he might reconcile them both, say both, to God in one. Say both in one. Over and again, he says both in one, two to one, both in one. One body through the cross, therefore putting to death the enmity. Notice it says he might reconcile, say might. That's not a given. Jesus came and he, on his side, he made reconciliation with mankind. He dealt with the hostility, the sins, the transgressions, the, the things that man did. He, he made peace by taking the punishment and fulfilling and gave perfect righteousness as a man to God. And anyone accepts Jesus, their sins are put on Jesus and Jesus' perfection as a man under the law is given to them. Amen. Hostility is removed. Reconciliation has been made on God's side. But let me tell you something, reconciliation always takes two. You can't have a reconcil reconciliation in a marriage without both partners agreeing to the terms of reconciliation. It's impossible. God made reconciliation based on given terms. You want to have reconciliation with me? It's on these terms. Accept Jesus Christ and his, my son for what he did for you at the cross. If you accept my terms, we are reconciled. But it takes two to reconcile. That's why it says might reconcile. Because some people are on their own terms wanting to reconcile with God. Say, so I don't need Jesus. I believe there's another way to God. There's another way that I'll, find, I'll make myself. Those, there will never be reconciliation unless you agree to his terms. You can have it, you can have it your way, but you've got to have it Yahweh. Might. Might, because it's not a given for everyone. Universalism says everybody's reconciled. Everyone's in Christ. <laughs> That's why Paul says we've been given the ministry of reconciliation, that Jesus Christ reconciled the world to himself. And then the next verse goes, keep reading, it says, be therefore reconciled. On your side, it's reconciled by God's side, but you need to say, be reconciled. I accept the terms. That's found in 2 Corinthians 5. I believe 18 and 19. Any and all reconciliation takes two. And he says, both believing Jews and Gentiles in one body, say one body, one body. through the cross. 
In Jesus' body, he fulfilled the law's righteous demands in his righteous life, bore the punishment of broken law in his death, and he forever fulfilled it and the demands on your behalf and the penalty you deserved. And now there's nothing between you and God but peace. Peace. Therefore, I putting to death, say putting to death, the enmity. Jesus did not just lessen the hostility between God and you. He put it to death. Put it to death. And now you have the same hostility with you and the Father that Jesus has, which is zero. I've heard someone saying God's not even in a bad mood. The war is over. The enmity has been put to death, but it has been put to death in your heart, has been put to death in your mind. If you're still living under those laws, trying to make your own connection with God, trying to get good enough, there will always be hostility, always be hostility. When you're trying to make your own connection to God, instead of receiving that by being in him, and he shares it with you. Tell someone, your relationship with God is the same as Jesus's. Now that's in your spirit. That's in your identity. Your soul's a whole nother ballgame. It has to come in line. Your peanut needs to be fully roasted. Verse 17. And he came, say he came, and preached peace to you who were far off and those who were near. He came. The glory of Christianity is that we have a God that came down to meet us where we were. Every religion of man is man working himself to God, and it's a fruitless, it's an endless, it's an unattainable end because you never can be perfect enough. And every religion, I don't care what name, it's just a different name. The devil's into religion, he just puts a different name on it. There's different details, but it's the same program, man working himself to God. It can't be done. But Christianity, true Christianity, is Jesus coming down to us, and he did the work. He's the one that performed. He's the one that brings him, us back up to where he was. Look at John 1, look at verse 17. Now, I want you to make sure that I'm not teaching you that you're going to be God. Tell someone it's evident you're not God. But as, but as a man, Jesus the man, there's a glorified man in heaven, a, the son, a son of God. You have the same standing as him and his humanity. And you're a partaker of the divine nature. But you're not God. John 1, look at verse 17. For the law was given. Say given. given. It was given. But grace and truth came. See, see, the law was given in tablets. You can't have a relationship with two cold pieces of stone. But you can have a relationship with a person. And, the, and grace and truth came. Jesus is the grace of God. And he is the, he's the embodiment of the truth. I am the truth, the way, the truth, the life. He came. Fulfilled the law, removed it, and now your relationship with the Father is his Relationship with the Father. He came and preached peace. What did he preach? Peace. peace. He didn't preach hostility. Because the guys, when Jesus died, he rose again 
he gave, he preached peace to the 12 apostles and to those following him, and they went and preached peace. And they have given the baton to us. We're to preach. If you're preaching hostility, you're not preaching the gospel. Last time I checked, we have been made, we've been given the preparation of the gospel of peace. It's the gospel of peace. Notice verse 14, Jesus said he is our peace. Verse 15, he he made peace. And verse 17, after he rose again from the dead, he preached peace. He is peace, made peace, preached peace. And given us the baton, preach my peace. Receive my peace first, then preach my peace. Preach them to those that are far off, that look like there's no hope. God, even them, you're willing to save that heathen? Yes, that heathen. He saved you. Well, Ethel, I wasn't here for him to malign me. Well, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to your neighbor. (laughs) Preach peace to those that are far off. And he also preached to those who were near. So afar off was the Gentiles. Those who were near were the Jews. Look at verse 18. For through him, say through him. How many times does Paul have to get it through our heads? In him, by him, through him, in him, in Christ, by Christ, through Christ. You don't have, tell someone you don't have your own deal with God. But you do got Jesus. And that's your connection to the Father. That's your standing with the Father. I like this next word. For through him we have both have access. Access. Have you ever been somewhere where there was an, where you had to have access and you weren't allowed access? That isn't, that's not pleasant, is it? You ever been on the airplane? And they put you back in coach? And you always have this, this, uh, this little you know, uh, airline attendant. And she's over the first class and she kind of looks at you a little disdain so you could have tried harder and flips the, the sheet across it. <laughs> You're like, hey, actually, I belong up there. I'm one of them. Well, guess what? When you accepted Jesus, you're flying first class. You have access to everything God has. You, matter of fact, you have access to everything Jesus has access to. He shares it with you. In him, in him, in him, in him. We both have access, if you're a believer, by one spirit, say one spirit, spirit. to the Father. In this verse, you see the Trinity. Now, Pastor, there's no word Trinity in the Bible. Yeah, but there are three people talked about in the Bible. This verse talks about the three in in the Bible. They're a Trinity. Notice this verse says, For through him, Jesus Christ, we both have access by one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to the Father. There are, some people, there are some denominations of Christianity that are called Jesus only. That there's only one member of the Godhead, Jesus. Well, Jesus must have been a very good ventriloquist. When he was baptized in water, he threw his voice away. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then he talked a bird into coming and landing on him. No, there's three... 
Three members, one God? Pastor, explain that fully. I can't. I'd be God. But I'll try. Look at an egg. Is the yolk egg? No. Yes, yolk. You say it's egg. Is the white egg? Yes, it's egg. Is the shell egg? All three make up an egg. They have different functions. The yolk has a purpose. The white has a purpose. The shell has a purpose. But all three are egg? Thank you. Verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. This word foreigners is the same word as aliens that our last, last week we looked at. And so you're no longer strangers or foreigners or aliens. Tell someone you're not an alien anymore. You may look like one, but you're not. You're not. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens. I like that. Access. Citizens. Citizens with the saints. This is not saying, well, how did I get in here with all these saints? No, you are one. Tell someone you are one. Introduce yourself to the neighbor and say, you're, you're a saint in your first name. You'll be doing that in heaven. You'll do that in heaven. It's like, well, how did I get in here with all these saints? You are one. You're a citizen with the saints and members. Say members. members. I like that. Access. Citizen. Members. Inclusion. But it comes by faith in Jesus and being in him. A citizen. You know when you're a citizen of a country, it speaks of privileges. That you have certain privileges as being an American citizen that others used to not have. If you apply for it, you can't get it, basically. But if you steal in here, you can get it. Used to be. Your citizen had privileges others did not have. But our citizenship is not on earth. It's in heaven. The country we're citizens of determines our status, our provision, and manner of life. You have the status of a son of God. You have the provisions that Jesus has, and you have the manner of life, which is love, the law of heaven. And your fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God. But you need to figure out who this God is. Because, yeah, he's Papa, he's Daddy, but he's God Almighty. And that he's made a hundred billion galaxies with billions of stars in every one of them. And he's your daddy. He's your papa. And you're members of his house. And you have equal rights that Jesus enjoys in the house. Can you imagine Jesus walking around, shuffling around in tatters, holes in his, in his, uh, in, 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 I don't know if he wears jeans. That'd be cool. Jesus in jeans, that's awesome. And we'll be holy. I guess I could be holy. But no, no. What Jesus enjoys in the house, you enjoy. 
because you're in him. Verse 20, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. These are the New Testament apostles, the New Testament prophets that wrote scripture that the church is built on. Apostles and prophets. They're called foundational apostles. Jesus Christ being the chief what? Cornerstone. A cornerstone holds two walls together. He holds both redeemed Jews, redeemed Gentiles into one new building called the church. He's the cornerstone. He holds everything together. He holds the universe together. And he holds your life together. If you're falling apart, it's because you're not looking at Jesus. Look at verse 21. In whom? In him? The whole building being fitted and together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. This building is alive. It's growing. How would you like to leave your house in the morning and come home after work and it doubled? It's growing. The church is growing because they're built of us. And every time people get born again, Jesus, make a new addition. It's growing, it's growing. And Peter calls us living stones. Tell someone you're a living stone. Well, I know, I'm just a piece of gravel. You're not a piece of gravel. These are gemstones. The New Jerusalem, which speaks of the church, has costly gemstones. Tell someone you're a gem. In whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple. Say holy temple in the Lord. Look at this word temple. There's two Greek words. We're almost done. Two Greek words for temple. One means the entire complex. But another Greek word, which is this one, it's used of the holy of holies. Jesus is the entire temple, but the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is the holy of holies. Where the presence of God dwells. Tell someone you're a holy of holies. For the temple and the presence of God to inhabit. And I guarantee you there was nothing allowed into that holy of holies but the presence of God. And those that were worthy and accepted to get in there. If you went in there and you weren't supposed to be in there, zap. I guarantee you, sickness is not allowed in the Holy of Holies, zap. Poverty, zap. I want to get, for my birthday, one of those bug zappers. That's amazing. I love that. Zap, zap. Get it. Can you imagine? Whatever's trying to enter into you, zap, zap. Zap, zap, zap. <laughs> so all you remember from the sermon is zap. I remember zap. Verse 22. In whom? How many times can he say it? In him, in him, through him, by him, by whom? In whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. In the Spirit. If we really understood that, it would change the way we thought, change the way we, we made decisions, where we went, how we allow people to treat us. You're holy. You're the very holy of holies of God. 
Bow your heads. Father, I thank you for those listening today. And you say, Pastor, today you talked about Jesus being our peace. But I have, I'll be honest with you. You be honest before the Lord. I've been not walking in my soul. I've not allowed him to be my peace this week. And I've allowed myself to get troubled in my heart. Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. I've been in fear. Don't allow your heart to go there. I give my peace to you. The same peace I walked in is yours. It's your inheritance. I bequeathed it. Are you walking in your inheritance? And you say today, Pastor, I had my eyes on the hurricane, but I haven't had my eyes on Jesus. Can when you get your eyes on Jesus, you'll be in the eye of the hurricane and be at total peace no matter what's happening. And you say, Lord Jesus, I'm getting my eyes back on you. I'm getting my trust back on you. Getting my eye back on you. And I'm going to receive your peace. And only when you're in peace can the Lord bring peace and make peace in your life. You say, Pastor, that's me. That's me. You're speaking to me today. Raise your hand high for the Lord to see. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And the Lord, Lord says, peace. My peace I've given to you. Receive my peace. Shalom to you. Look to me, says the Lord, and I'll calm the storm. I will be your peace when there is none that you can see, hear, and touch. But being in my peace, I will speak to you. I will give you wisdom. I will give you direction. And provision and faith will come alive. And you'll receive my peace. Receive my provision. Receive my deliverance, says the Lord God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Psalms 103.4 says that he redeems our life from destruction. That's not just destruction from the enemy, but it's your own destruction. From your own mistakes or bad choices that you made in life. I feel like the Lord was telling me there's some people here, you've, you've allowed your past failures, your past mistakes to rob you from the peace in the present. And the Lord showed me this eight millimeter reel, like the old ones. And the devil's got that on repeat of your past. And God says it's time to change the reel. It's time to put on the new one because you're a new creation in Christ. He knows how to redeem your bad choices, your past mistakes. He wants you to live in peace now. Stop focusing on that and focus on him. Amen. I hear the Lord saying that there are people here tonight that believe a lie from the pits of hell, that they are broken. But in him, we have fulfilled the promise of God because he fulfilled it on our behalf that not one of his bones would be broken. So in him, we are perfect and holy and blameless before him.